when Christina and I had Dayton, we were convinced that, that we were the best parents ever. We convinced ourselves of this. It was partly because Dayton was just such a good and easy baby. But it was also because we still outnumbered Dayton two to one. Two adults to one child is manageable. Then we had Landon. And our confidence that we were the greatest parents ever started to wane. Landon wasn't quite as mellow as Dayton. He didn't acquiesce to our instructions quite as well as Dayton. And Landon was born less than two years after Dayton was born. But still, it was manageable because while it had been before two adults to one child, it was now two adults to two children. So, so we were able to play, to use a basketball metaphor, man-to-man defense. If one of the children wasn't sleeping very well and he woke up the other child, then, then Christina could go in with Landon or I could go in with Landon and Christina could take Dayton or I could take Dayton. If one, if Landon needed his diaper changed and, and Dayton needed help with potty training, then, then we could each take one and, and help them out. Man-on-man defense, that was, that was manageable. Then we listened to people that we thought were our friends who told us that, that having three children is no different than having two children. And so before Dayton was even four years old, we had a third child and we realized that those friends were liars and the truth was not in them. Three children is definitely more difficult than two children. Where, where we had been with Dayton, two adults to one child, and with Dayton and Landon, we had been two adults to two children. We were now outnumbered, three adults to two children. And, and being outnumbered, we realized things had to change. Our, our systems had to change. Our, our finances had to change. Our, 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 our schedules had to change. Having a, a child that was three, almost four, a, a two-year-old and a one-year-old, things had to change as our family had grown. When families grow, new challenges grow. So things must change to meet those challenges. When churches grow, new challenges grow. So churches must change to meet those challenges. That is the story that we find in the book of Acts, chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. If you have your Bibles with you there at home, turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6 and in verse 1. And the Bible says this in the very first verse of Acts chapter 6. And let me put my glass on. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Please note that in this verse, the following. Note this in this verse. The success of the church pressed the needs of the church beyond what were their current capabilities. Did you hear me? The success of the church pressed the needs of the church beyond what were their current capabilities. The church at one point had had just one child and the leadership could manage that. And, and then they'd had a second child and, and the leadership could still manage that, although it was a little bit tougher. But now they had three children and, and something had to change. 
Sometimes we get frustrated with what is happening in the church, but sometimes those happenings are not because of something bad happening, but rather good things are happening and it's demanding a change. We as parents were thrilled to have Levi, but being outnumbered by our kids demanded changes, changes to the way we did things. Families grow, challenges grow, changes must be made to meet those challenges. Churches grow, challenges grow, changes must be made to meet those challenges. Verse 2 illustrates that the disciples came to this same understanding, that a change must be made. Verse 2, the 12, that's the apostles, summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on the tables. I want us to note several points about this verse. Before the apostles give a solution to the problem, they let it be very clear that they are not going to be the solution to the problem. Did you hear what I said? Before they give a solution to the problem, they make it very clear that they are not going to be the solution to the problem. The Bible says the 12 summoned the whole company of disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word to take care of this challenge, this need, this service. They were not going to be distracted from their primary mission, preaching the word of God. They acknowledge that there's a need to care for the members better. They acknowledge that there might be some people that are, that are being neglected in the care, not intentionally, but still feeling neglected. But they also acknowledge that this need cannot take away from their mission. They cannot let Satan distract them from the spreading of the gospel. John Stott wrote this, the apostles discerned that administration, both organizing the distribution and settling the complaint was threatening to occupy all their time and so inhibit them from the work which Christ had specifically entrusted them to do, namely the preaching and teaching of the word. In staff this week, we were talking about this passage and, and the very real issues that the apostles were facing. We face as pastors in our modern day world. We in that group know this is a real issue because as pastors, we see it up close and personal. Not only because we are pastors, but, but some of our staff have, have seen it up close and personal in a multitude of ways. You might not know this, but Pastor Candace is not only a pastor herself, but she's also married to a pastor. Her husband, Frank, is the senior pastor of the Athelton Church just up the road from Spencerville Church. And Pastor Lerone is not only a pastor herself, but she is also the daughter of a pastor. Her dad was a pastor down in Florida. And we were talking about the very real struggle that pastors have that they've seen both with their, in, in their own homes and individually, and I've seen and I've experienced the very real struggle that, that various issues arise from week to week and that it is easy for the pastor to feel like he or she needs to fix those issues and, and sermon prep gets a little bit slimmer. The, the, the deep study of the word of God gets a little bit less deep. Sermon prep gets a little bit later in the week and then a little bit later 
And before long, preachers are preaching what we call in the business Friday night specials. Or if you are a Sunday churchgoer, as my Baptist brothers call it, at the seminary that I have attended for my doctorate, they call it Saturday night specials. Friday night specials or Saturday night specials, however you want to say them, are sermons hastily cobbled together. They are quick in making, but low in effectiveness. They are quick to make, but low in being effective. Pastors want to care for their flock, and in their desire to care for their flock, in their desire to meet all the needs of the flock, in their desire to take care of the various issues within the flock, the complaints and the administration, many times the flock still suffers because pastors neglect their first responsibility, the handling of the Word of God. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the Word of God to wait on tables, to wait on tables. The church has grown. With that, the challenges have grown. The church's progress has made it impossible for the apostles to manage the church, to care for the people that the, the way that they want to, and still be faithful to the teaching of the Word of God. And as we'll see, equally important, their ministry of prayer. So what do they do? Do they try to do it all themselves? No, they turn to the church. They turn to the church. Brothers and sisters, select from among you, they say. Select from among you. Seven men of good reputation, full of spirit and wisdom whom we can appoint to this duty. The healthiest church is a church where the members learn to care for one another and appreciate the value of their fellow members caring for them. The healthiest church is where a pastor says, you know what, I cannot care for the members now the way they deserve to be cared for. I'm going to turn it over to the members to care for one another. The apostle said, choose from among you, choose from within your church, from within your membership, those that you think would be best to administrate and carry out this task of care. The persons that were called to oversee this had to have three qualifications, a good reputation, wisdom, and full of spirit. There is nothing in there that says they had to be apostles, that they had to be the preacher, that they had to be the teacher. The care for the membership grew out of the membership. Growing churches bring growing challenges which necessitate change in order to continue in a healthy manner. Pastors and churches suffer when the pastor is the primary teacher, the primary caregiver, the primary problem solver, the primary administrator. And we've lived this way in most of our churches for way too long. Because pastors have, have at times out of ego or at times out of guilt, have felt like they had to do all the work. And the members have expected them sometimes because they didn't know what else to do or because they weren't rightly trained by the pastors, have expected the pastors to do most of the work. But this is not right. Ellen White wrote this, the same order and system that were necessary in the days of the apostles, this was written in the Adventist Review in uh, 1911, 
The same order and system that were necessary in the days of the apostles should be maintained in the church of today. This prosperity, listen to this, the prosperity, in other words, the growth, the, the, the continuing growth of the cause depends very largely upon its various departments being conducted by men of ability who are qualified to fulfill the positions in which they are placed. Those, listen to this, those who are chosen to be of God to be leaders in the cause of truth, having the general oversight of the spiritual interests of the church, should be relieved as far as possible from cares and perplexities. Those whom God has called to minister in word and doctrine should have time for meditation, prayer, and study of the scriptures. Their clear spiritual discernment is dimmed if they are obliged to enter into the lesser details of the business and to deal with the various temperaments of those who meet together in the church capacity. What is she saying? She's saying, just as the apostle said, hey, look, we can't be the ones to fix this problem. We've grown, so we no longer can care for the people the way we had before. Well, should we be the ones that keep caring for them? No, now the members must. Now, after I read something like that, I wanna say to myself in counsel, and so that you know that I am aware also of this, being the primary preacher does not excuse me from also not helping, also not serving, also not visiting and loving the members. It just means that, that, that these things cannot take away from my preparation in the teaching. The story of the Good Samaritan teaches me that I, that I can't neglect these things. What is the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told us? Jesus said there was a man who was beaten, who was left for dead on the side of the road and a, and a priest walked by and the priest came by and, and looked at the man and, and crossed over to the other side of the road and kept on because, hey, he didn't have time. He was doing his duties in the temple. And, and, and then a Levite came by, a teacher of the law came by and he looked at the man and, and he actually felt convicted, but, but he still passed on. And, and he didn't help the man in need because he too had other duties and other responsibilities. But then there was a third person that came by, a Samaritan who came and helped the man and cared for the man and took care of the man and loved the man. The point of Jesus' message is, is, that, is that if we are there and we see someone in need and it's our opportunity to help that person in need, we need to help them. This means that the pastor can't say, well, there's a visit to be made, but I'm not gonna make it because I'm the preacher, I'm the teacher. Or, or there's a neighbor across the street who needs some support. I'm not gonna do it because, well, I'm the preacher, I'm the teacher. No, if there's a need before us and we're the ones there that can help the need and address the need, we should still do it. The, the point is by, by saying that the preacher should not be caught up with the, with the business is it means that, that not everything should run through that pastor. It means that, it means that these things, these other needs should not supersede the teaching of the word. That other members should be encouraged to, br to bring care to those. That said, it is often laid upon the few to do the both and. To preach, teach, pray, run the ministries, run the meetings, all the visiting, all the caring, answering everyone's question, managing everyone's complaints. And as Jethro said to Moses in the book of Exodus chapter 18, 
what you're doing is not good. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. The disciples understood this right from the get-go. There's the need that's arisen. They've grown so big, they can no longer meet that need in the way that they've been meeting it before. Rather than saying, well, let's double down and work harder, they said, no, 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 call the people together. And amongst you, amongst you, figure out a way to, to care for these people. Acts chapter six, verses one through seven illustrate this was an issue in the church then. And I believe God has put it in the Bible because he knew it would be an issue in the church 2,000 years later. The church in Jerusalem that started as a small church had grown to a large church. When it was a small, when it was small, the apostles could preach, teach, pray, and oversee the duties of the church. There were, after all, 12 of them. A small church with 12 pastors. How awesome is that? But when it became a larger church, the apostles had pointed out to them their unintentional neglect of caring for the people. The small church that had thrived with 12 pastors, now 12 pastors was not enough. It had become a big church. And even with these 12 pastors, they couldn't keep up. And being faithful to their first call to preach and recognizing the need though to not ignore their second call to care for the membership, they had to make a change. Things grow. They create new challenges. Changes must be made in order to meet those challenges. Jason, I'm pausing right here, take a note. This thing is pulling so much. It's like literally pulling right off my things. You see it? I want to do a, uh, for now on, I want to do a lapel. Because I can't do this on Sabbath. I don't want to have to fiddle with this again. You ready? The apostles recognized this change that needed to be made. So they made the change. We as a pastoral team came to this realization during COVID-19. We became acutely aware of how many people we were neglecting. Not with intentionality, but, but simply because the church was so big. And then as we looked at all the number of people, the, the 2,000 30 plus members that we have in our church family and realizing that we either do the tasks of preaching and teaching and other administration or we just manage the care. And it dawned on us, the big church can't be run like a small church. A church of 2,000 can't be cared for like a church of 200. But what do we do? What the 12 did. The 12 called the church to choose from amongst themselves people who can help them care. And they chose seven individuals, seven men. But for us, we didn't choose seven individuals or seven men. We called for small groups. We called for you to care for one another in small groups. And started with just a few, but now it has grown into 25 plus, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know at least 25 plus small groups. And then if you add in our Sabbath schools, even more than that. 
And the reason why we chose these small groups is because of the evidence of the Bible, of the power that comes when people are meeting together in small communities. Because of the counsel of Ellen White, who said she was shown a method that cannot fail, the gathering of small companies together. But we also did it because of the amazing witness of our Sabbath schools and their leaders. Whenever we heard about heard from people, not just surviving, but even somewhat thriving during COVID, we discovered it was almost always a person connected to another smaller group within the church. And most often that group was one of our amazing Sabbath schools. When people weren't connected to these groups, we often heard, why isn't the church doing anything? Why haven't we heard from the church in a long time? To those folk, the church meant, why are the pastors not doing anything? Why are the pastors not, why are we not hearing from the pastor? Why are you not doing what you're supposed to do? What does the Bible say? In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples. It said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. When a church grows, challenges grow, and changes are necessary in order to meet those challenges. The change we made here at Spencerville and that we will continue to emphasize again and again is our desire to see every member in a small group or some supportive, healthy community within the church. If you are not in a small group, I would encourage you to reach out to Nancy Cabrera, our small group ministries director at spencervillechurch.org slash small groups. She can help you start your own group. She can help you join another group. She can help you grow a group if you want to lead something and, or facilitate a group and, and, and have it filled with members. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jim Collins. He wrote a book called Good to Great. And in that book, he has something he says that all ministers, all businesses need to have, but I will apply it to ministries. It's called BHAGs, Big, Hairy, Audacious Goals. And here is my BHAG for the Spencerville Church, that every single member will be cared for and loved by another member within this church. Every single member cared for and loved and looked after even by another member within this church. Now notice I didn't say that every member necessarily in a small group. I was visiting one of our church members in their home actually not too long ago. Uh, we both had our vaccinations and we were socially distanced, but I visited this member in our home and she said, Pastor, I, I, I love the idea of small groups, but and I haven't joined one, but it's not because I'm not supportive. She said, but I already have a group of people that that, that contact me and look out for me. And, and I have another group of people that I contact and I looked out for. She's already part of the fulfillment of that big, hairy, audacious goal of every member caring for other members. She's doing that and others are doing that for her. But not all of us are in those situations and we need these, these small groups to, to care for one another. Every member that has ever felt neglected but wants to be connected, we think the best place for you is to be in a healthy small group which could also be a healthy Sabbath school. The apostles were in a big church. They were presented with a big problem. 
They made a change to meet that problem. And the Bible tells us that when they made this change, verse five, this proposal pleased the entire company. When they made this change, this proposal pleased the whole company. Maybe you don't think small groups would be pleasing to you. But before you settle into that thought, I want you to listen to a letter that I received from another small group doubter. This is someone that is connected in some way to this church. And they sent this to me, this letter from a small group doubter. When I learned a few months ago that the Spencerville Church planned to conduct small groups via Zoom, I was skeptical. The technology is impressive and, is, and it's suitable for helping satisfy the socialization needs of our faith community while we can't meet in person during the pandemic. But I was reluctant to make a commitment to participate for several reasons. I'm a busy engineer working and teleworking. I'm often tired in the evenings after a busy day of work. My wife and I weren't connected with the Spencerville Church and I've grown weary and somewhat cynical regarding evangelism for a variety of reasons. However, our small group leaders sounded nice. My wife was enthusiastic about opportunities for ministry and fellowship, and we had had success with small groups in Michigan. So we agreed to give it a try. Funny, he says, how things change. It's February, 2021. I'm a busy teleworking professional. And there are still days when I don't feel like attending another meeting after eight to 10 hours of work. But, but we're really getting to know our new friends in the small group meetings. We support each other during times of trial and our leader is everything a good leader should be. A wonderful ministry leader and even more a wonderful person. She demonstrates that she truly cares about each of us. Even though she is very busy, she has reached out to my wife to help us pray through spiritual and family crises. And we're eager to do the same for her family. So if you're not involved in a small group for Bible study, prayer, and fellowship, I recommend you make a personal commitment to participate at least one night each week. The time you invest will be multiplied. The blessing will be incredible. The proposal pleased the whole company. Church, what about you? What about you? Will you, like this doubter, take a chance and see if just maybe you'll start to appreciate church in a way that you thought not possible? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this testimony of the church in the book of Acts. A church that, that had grown to such a size that they couldn't do church the way they'd been doing it before. So they needed to make a change. And they made that change and, and the people were pleased. And even the Bible tells us in verse seven that, that, the, that the word of God spread all the more. And the disciples increased all the more in Jerusalem. And even people that were unexpected, the priests began to be followers of Jesus. 
Amazing things happen when, we, when we're willing to make the changes necessary to be the church that you called us to be. Not neglecting the word, but nor neglecting the care for one another. Lord, we're a big family. We're a big church, but we all need care. Lord, give us the heart to care for one another and to allow others to care for us. As we grow bigger, Lord, may we also grow smaller in our groups and in our love for one another. I pray all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.